you kids have been patiently waiting. And you guys want to head on out and have a good time worshiping God together with your leaders. Some of you by now are looking at your uh, watches and you're wondering, another half hour, how is this going to work exactly? Um, we're going we're gonna to try and cut it a little shorter than half an hour so you can just relax a little bit. But we will go a little bit past 12 so you can uh, already prepare yourself for that also. We've been on a bit of a journey in our church in the last little while trying to think through our responsibility toward um, poverty or underprivileged or marginalized. Uh, last week we ended the Sunday school presentation time, the adult Sunday school presentation time, with a kind of a thought-provoking question which was, uh, what are we doing as a church in response to uh, poverty or marginalized or underprivileged? And uh, we kind of left it open-ended. Um, many of you are contributing financially in all kinds of different ways. I hope that many of you, maybe I can actually say, uh, I hope that all of you have a sponsor child. That's maybe a little bit too brave, but um, it's by far not the only valuable way to make a difference. But it is one pretty cool way to make a small difference somewhere around the world. Many of you know that Pearl and I and Carrie were fortunate enough a couple of years ago to do a visit to one of our sponsor children in Colombia and in that case it was through World Vision and they did a great job of showing us how uh, in that girl's young uh, girl's life um, the cont small contributions that we had made and many others had made uh, what a huge difference they had made in her life and the life of her impoverished community uh, and so that's one way um, MDS by the way there's another uh, MDS trip being planned for the end of January. If you would be willing to uh, go and spend a week of, uh, of time helping out someplace in a situation, in a place where devastation has, uh, has wrecked havoc uh, on people. MDS is an organization that very intentionally chooses to minister to, I'm going to say, marginalized. People that, that fall between the cracks. People that don't have insurance to cover uh, the devastation that they've experienced and at the same time don't have a network of people around them to help them uh, take care of or cover the devastation that, that has been caused. And so MDS is another great way to, uh, to do some of that. Bert and Elma have talked about Dominican Republic and in a unique way they have kind of informally begun to, together with some friends, uh, during some winter holidays, uh, extend that a little bit and then to do little projects to help marginalized and impoverished or underprivileged uh, people in the Dominican. Canadian Food Grains Bank. Many of you have in some way, shape or form been a part of what Canadian Food Grains Bank does uh, around the world. Last week, I, I believe Tina mentioned here something about Living Bible Explorers and, and uh, what the co local co-op has contributed to Living Bible Explorers and and the time that uh, Pete and Tina have spent cooking, etc. Uh, PV Men, once a year we invite all of you to go to Gem Lake. And uh, many of us have gone and have had great times there. Many times we actually forget, the time is so good, that we forget that actually a big part of what we're all about when we do that weekend is to create an opportunity for inner city kids, uh, underprivileged kids in many uh, times, places, uh, for underprivileged kids to be able to experience uh, a week during the summer uh, at a wilderness camp where they can experience God in a, in a whole other way. Uh, Live Different, Carrie and Barb, you have mentioned and talked many times about Live Different and some of the different things that, that go on there. Street Store, 
I think the street store is happening today, am I right? And there's some people, thumbs are up, some people from our church family right now involved in setting up street store and, and trying to get that uh, going and, and again, uh, ministering to the needs of marginalized people. And so, whatever we say or we don't say here during this little journey that we're taking, not just this morning, but some of the other things that have already contributed, uh, it's not about heaping a ton of guilt. It's about being objective and real and looking at what does the Bible say? What is God's heart for underprivileged people? And, and how is God calling His people, His children, to contribute and to be a part of that? And so, uh, how can we come alongside and, and be involved in what God's heart beats for. I really appreciated Kent Duick here last Sunday morning uh, speaking to us a little bit, helping us to take another step in, in kind of creating a bit of a framework, a theological framework, helping us to understand God's heart for the underprivileged. There's literally hundreds of scripture verses throughout the Bible from the Old Testament and the prophets and Psalms and then into the New Testament and Jesus and his ministry and, and his teaching and then on into the New Testament church. There's hundreds of scripture passages that speak about God's heart for the oppressed, for lifting up people that the world and the consequences of life have pushed down and uh, have cast a cloud over. And so God's heart beats for uh, oppressed people, whatever that word oppressed all means in the individual lives of people. Jesus tells a lot of stories when he does his teaching. We, uh, we know them or have decided somewhere to call them parables. And so uh, for me, there's kind of two uh, famous parables in the Bible. I I'm not totally sure. I was asking myself the question actually why I've elevated these two as kind of the more the more famous ones. But for me, there's kind of two that, that are more popular than, than, than all the others. And I'm not sure if there's anybody here that would like to guess uh, what might those two be that I'm thinking about. The lost sheep, very close actually. I, I, I love that one, but I'm thinking of that other one that's right beside that one, uh, the lost son, the prodigal son. For some reason, one of those two famous ones for me is, is the prodigal son. I'm not totally sure why, but then there's another one, and it's the other one that I want to talk about for a little bit this morning. Uh, another kind of a famous parable. Anybody have an idea what it might be? Did I hear or did I just want to hear somebody say Good Samaritan? I did hear it, right on. Uh, yeah, and I'm not totally sure. I was actually questioning myself this week as I was preparing this. You know, I, I've always elevated those two as kind of the, the big ones, the two big ones. And I'm not totally sure why. I, I really have no, I don't think, any specific reason why I've elevated those above the rest. But, but for, mo for me, those are kind of the two big ones. And particularly this morning, I want to spend the next few minutes uh, exploring together with you the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and maybe I should... Maybe I should have done what Dion suggested. I was actually FaceTiming with, his, with him a little bit last night, and I told him I was preaching about the Good Samaritan this morning, and I said, so what do you think I should say? And, and he said, well, well, tell them to go and be one. <laughs> You'd probably all like that right now. I will tell you to go and be one, but I'm going to explain or talk about it just a little bit more. So Luke chapter 10, I'd love for you to follow along. Uh, if you have your Bibles here, turn to Luke chapter 10. I'd like to kind of have you see some of these words specifically on the overhead. If you don't have your Bibles here, if you have your Bibles here, turn there. Uh, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start with verse 25. 
Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with, uh, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Uh, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and uh, who is my neighbor? Let's stop there for just a moment um, and ask the question, what do you see so far? And I'm going to say, no, no, not what Jesus is teaching. What do you see about humanity? Uh, humanity's nature. Because I believe that this expert in the law is kind of representing all of us. And, and I think there's something there that speaks to humanity's nature. Uh, this guy asks, what will it take for me to be saved? The implication is, he wants to get by with the bare minimum. It's a great business practice in one sense, but it's a horrible relational practice. And the reason why I say it's a great business practice is because in the big picture, this guy really, he, he simply wants to get the best bang for his buck. That's really what he's asking, is uh, how can I be the most efficient, how can I spend the least and get the most? That's what he's really interested in. What, it's like he's walking into a dealership and he said, what is the best deal you've got for me today? Great business practice, not such a great relational practice. In a relationship, the question is totally different. Uh, what are you involved in? What are you passionate about? Where are you at work? Uh, how can I join you? How can my time and energy be most effective in helping you with what you're doing? And there's no talk about payback. There's no mention of, of what's the best possible deal you can give me today. What is the minimum that I need to do in order to get back what I still want? Because you see, I don't after all want to waste my time doing more than I have to do. That wouldn't be efficient. That's what this expert in the law, our representative, is saying to Jesus here. And Jesus sees right through it and he tells them this following little story to answer his question about who is his Neighbor, who's the one that I'm supposed to love like I love myself? And let's read the story, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Uh, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Uh, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, 
uh, go and do likewise. Simple as that. Well, it's actually not that simple. Well, yeah, it is. Just love your neighbor as yourself. I talked to someone once. He was a real pious kind of guy. Uh, he felt like the church he was going to was just kind of fluffy. You know, they didn't really preach the deep, intense stuff about Christianity. He longed to get deeper into the Word. Very noble indeed. And then he said, you know, I can only listen to so and so many messages about loving your neighbor. And I wasn't quite sure how to burst his bubble. And so I didn't. My friends, if you think this is fluffy, soft, surface, unimportant, easy to live out kind of material, then you and I are not on the same page. I would like to say this, for me, is the toughest command anywhere in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength is a piece of cake compared to loving your neighbor as yourself. To me. In a way, I actually agree with that pious guy. I don't think I really enjoy listening to messages about loving your neighbor either. Because they convict me too much. Because it's so incredibly hard. This story is crazy convicting for me. Because what's my natural uh, uh, representative in this story? The priest. The guy that's on his way to church because he's the one planning all the church services. He's the one that's planning another program and going to make sure it all happens and going to do his best at making it all happen. That's my representative here and I don't like it. And so it's crazy convicting and so I'm, I'm not sure I like listening to these kind of messages either. So we know who the neighbor is. Now let's go back a little bit. Break this down briefly to see how a neighbor acts. What does a neighbor do? This act that captures the whole law, that encompasses all that God asks of us outside of loving Him. I'd say it's definitely worth a, a quick closer look. What does a neighbor do? So along comes this Samaritan. Verse 33, it says, He saw the underprivileged man. But so did the others. It says that if you check back in verse 32. So that by itself is not that unique. What's unique is what it says right after the comma. He saw him and took pity on him. He allowed the guy's desperate situation to touch his heart. Um... Versus the priest and the Levite passing by on the other side, kind of the opposite. The sooner this problem is out of my sight, the sooner I don't have to see it anymore, the better the chances that it might actually not grab a hold of my heart. And I'll be able to focus rather on the things that I want to focus on. And I, I, I have thought that way many times. When I go on a southern holiday, I don't want the poor people to be able to have access to me. I don't want to be able to or have to uh, sit beside the pool and feel guilty about the underprivileged person bugging me to buy stuff. Just keep them out of my sight, please. Allow it to touch your heart. I can't tell you exactly what that means for you. Let's move on. Number two, he went to him. Uh, 
verse 34. I, I, honestly, this is where I think many of us often get derailed. See, we, we feel for someone, but we don't want them to ask us for money because we won't know what to say and we don't want to feel guilty or we are petrified that the person that we see over there is likely going to mug me or actually much more likely he's probably going to kill me because that happens all the time right here in broad daylight on the street with hundreds of other people uh, watching. Um, that happens all the time. People get killed. Well, not actually. I'm being somewhat facetious. Um, go up to the underprivileged person and begin treating him like a, like a normal human being. Equal to you, made in God's image, cherished, valued by God, just like you. Not that different from you, actually, or me. And most of the time, an underprivileged person doesn't actually want anything from you. Actually, they have the same needs as you do. Nine times out of ten, they just want to know that they are seen and valued and that they matter in the world. Make eye contact. Say, hi, how are you today? Let them know that they're valued and loved and cared for. And I can hear you saying, yeah, Darren, but what then? See, that's the thing, Darren. I know how this works. It never ends there. You give them a moment of your attention, and then they want the world from you. Really? Don't worry about the what then. He went to him. Give what you have to give. Start with a moment of time, a smile, hello, how are you, take care, God bless you. Can I pray for you? Just go to him, just stop for a minute. He went to him. Just give what you have to give. In the case of the Good Samaritan here, it was, uh, it was bandages. Number three, he bandaged him. Still in verse 34. Uh, give what you have to give. You have some bandages in your backpack? Help him with some bandages. This little part was a huge part of my personal journey last summer when we had uh, Neil, a deaf fellow, come and live with us for a few months. Someone had come and told us about this young man and his situation and asked if we would be willing to do something about it. And this person said to us, all he needs is a place to stay. And I'm thinking about this and, I mean, sure, he, he could come and stay in my shop. I have a room there with a bed in it and a fridge and a microwave and... We have an extra bathroom downstairs that he could use, and we have food that we could share with him. Um, give what you have to give. Oh, but then what? Darren, you don't know how to help this guy. You don't have the expertise to help him with all his problems. Then you're going to be responsible to help him find a job, and then what about this, and what about that? Think of how complicated this could become. And in this particular case... It was a rather clear little voice that said, Darren, don't worry about all that. I'm just asking you to give what you have to give. So often we end up being afraid to even get close to someone or speak to someone or start with something because of all of the things that this might lead to. And we end up walking by on the other side because, because that solves the problem before it even starts. I'm already moving into the next one. Check out the end of verse 34, or almost the end of verse 34. This is kind of a, a crazy one, but I, I like the terminology here, and it's important that you see all the words. It says very intentionally, he put him on his own 
donkey. Why not call a taxi? I mean, there's surely there's somebody that we can phone. There's a commercial business somewhere that would benefit from this. Let's. It's a tough step, really, into my own car. It's happened two times in the past few years. Some of you will remember this, that a group of us went to Union Gospel Mission and in visiting with the people afterward, there was some, someone there that was uh, heading back toward the south edge of the city, down Pemina, right where we were going anyways. And they asked if they could have a ride with us. Now, I, I hope I don't incriminate anybody here, uh, or myself. I, I don't know if we have insurance for this kind of thing. I don't know if our liability would cover this kind of thing. Uh, I hope you know that I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but at the same time, actually being pretty real about some of the things that we sometimes use to avoid putting someone on our donkey. Um, in both cases, we uh, did give the individual a ride back to their place. And lo and behold, we didn't get shot. We didn't get kidnapped. Amazing, I know. No, actually, very, very normal, normal people, like me. But really, this is probably one of the toughest things in the world. Into my space. Into my home. I'm okay with helping from a distance, but in my home? In my personal space, in my personal property, this could affect my family. He put him on his own donkey. Five. He took him to an inn. Still verse 34, actually. Um, I'm going to ad-lib a little bit here and say, um, you, it's important for us also to realize that you will not solve the world's problems by yourself. Now, some people get on that bandwagon. Uh, you need others to get involved. Uh, you need to connect with others in the process. I like what one of the speakers said in the videos that we were watching in Sunday school last Sunday morning. Um, he said, lots of people that say, uh, I don't know what to do. You know, I look around and I see the people and I see the problems, but I don't know what to do about it. The issues are so complex. You know, how do I really help? And, and he said, that's the nice thing. You don't have to know what to do because there are lots of organizations that have the know-how. There's lots of organizations that are running the programs, that have done the research, that are right in the middle of it day in and day out, and they have a pretty good idea of how to do it and how to go about helping people. How about you just go to one of these organizations and you say, I would like to do something to help out. I want to volunteer um, one day a month or uh, one evening a week or one evening a month. I'd like to volunteer you can use me however, uh, how do I fit, how can I fit in, where can I fit in? Here I am, I'm available, tell me what to do. No, you won't do it all by yourself. None of us are smart enough to, none of us are strong enough to. Um, but do something, get connected with somebody who knows how to do something and, um, and go for it. I like the uh, little challenge that we had in Sunday school this morning. Uh, it challenged us to be willing to fail. And then it challenged us to be willing to fail uh, forward. I like that. Um, we're never going to get it all right, but do something. And then finally, uh, check verse 35. Uh, this guy gave some money. 
at the end. I feel incredibly blessed to have grown up in a culture that believes in giving money. Some of you were at Danny Lone's funeral this last week. Carl shared about one Sunday morning walking by his dad's office and seeing his dad sitting there with an open checkbook in front of him on his desk and praying. What do I give today? How much do I give today, God? Where do you want me to give to? I believe God desires for even our giving to be done out of relationship with him. So the instruction from Jesus is very simple. Go and do likewise. It's right there. Very, very simple. And someone has the audacity to say, I mean, how often can you hear someone preach about loving your neighbor? Really? We've so totally got that mastered. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but for me, it is by far the toughest commandment in the world. And I need God's help. Amen.